I want to talk with you today about a non-controversial topic called when Christians disagree. <laughs> when Christians disagree. Now, I know most of you are, are so mature that you never get in disagreements, but this is a message mostly for me because I do get in disagreements, okay? Uh, I'll tell you a funny story about my amazing wife. If you know Mel, um, you would think, how would you ever get in a disagreement with her? She's the most fun person. She's amazing. I married way up. I don't know why I would ever get in a disagreement with her, but somehow I do. And if you're here and you're married, or if you're here and you're dating and you're dreaming of being married someday, you might know what it's like on occasion to get in a disagreement with your most beloved spouse. And sometimes these disagreements are silly. For example, yesterday... Jack and I were making a five-hour drive down from Michigan. We were kind of sprinting to try to get here by the evening service. And Mel was actually driving with the girls to Ohio. They're, they're having a girls' weekend there with her cousins. Jack and I were having a guys' weekend with my brothers and their kids up in Michigan. And we're talking on the phone, and she tells me this story that they were in this kind of perfume and makeup store called Ulta, I think, or Ultra, something like that, okay? <laughs> and there... They're in there, and I guess all these perfumes had, like, little uh, theft alarms on the back. But the theft alarms had a button you could push, like a big red button that would set the alarm off. Well, of course, she's got our four-year-old and our six-year-old with her, and they're right at eye level, and they just see these red buttons that say, push me. And so the girls keep pushing the buttons, and Mel's telling me the story, and I'm laughing, I'm driving, I'm also kind of thinking, what am I going to teach about? And... <laughs> And I just kind of make this offhand remark, to me no big deal, of saying, you know, without the girls, me and Jack have had such a drama-free weekend, I forgot what it was like to have drama. <laughs> See, you guys are much more in tune than I am, you know? I just kind of said it as like a little kind of, you know, and then as if to prove my point, <laughs> a fight started to break out. And I'm like, ah, I really don't want to fight right now. I'm just trying to get to church on time and come up with a <laughs> message, you know? <laughs> now, here's a tip for any of you guys especially, but, you know, just personality spectrum. If you have a personality like mine, you get into one, some kind of, you know, disagreement. And my personality, I think it's my journalism background, you know, what's the truth? What are the facts? I like to conclude the argument with who is right. Okay, that's my nature, but, but here's what I want to tell, especially those of you who are engaged or dating. Some of you have been married 30 years and you haven't figured this out yet, okay? It took me about nine years of marriage to figure it out. It is not worth it to be right, okay? It's just not, and I don't just mean as a guy, I mean just in general, whether you're male, female, wherever you are on the personality spectrum, there comes a time in maturity, and it took me way too long to get there where you realize it's not worth it to always be right. A lot of times it's just better to enjoy the relationship. It, it, as they say, the old cliche, pick your battles, right? It's not, wor it's not worth fighting over every little thing. Now, I want to take this principle and I want to apply it to our walk as Christians because we live in a world that is so divided right now. I mean, we live in a world where... I don't think a turtle could cross the road. If a turtle crossed the road and CNN or another news channel aired, here's a turtle crossing the road, 
it would become a divisive story. I mean, it just would. The, the, the context out there is so... Uh, it, it, everything is an issue that, it, that divides people. And I don't say that to minimize the issues. The issues that are going on in our society right now are incredibly important issues. And that's why we need to be unafraid to wrestle through them and to talk through them and to search God's word about them. But here's what we're going to see in God's word today. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, then as we interact, particularly with other followers of Christ, we're held to a little different standard than those who don't follow Christ. In other words, God instructs us in his word how to disagree without being disagreeable. And he instructs us in his word how to pick our battles in the sense of having a maturity to understand other Christians who love the Lord will at times disagree with me, about exactly how to apply God's word in a situation or about politics or other controversial matters. And as a follower of Christ, part of my maturity is understanding that I can hold my position with deep conviction and passion and emotion, and yet I don't need to divide the body of Christ or get in a fight with another Christian, even if they disagree with me about an important issue that's not an essential issue. So here's the question we're asking. What should you do when you strongly disagree with another Christian about controversial or political matters? What should you do when you strongly disagree? Now, I'll give a couple illustrations because these are emotional things in our lives today that we disagree about. So I'm going to give some from recent church history that hopefully are not quite as emotional so that you can process through this um, with, without getting clouded. And I want you to know, if I give any examples today of any issues, I'm not up here to condemn or condone any of these kind of uh, opinion area issues. I'm just trying to give illustrations, okay? So here's an illustration. As recently as the 1950s and 60s, a lot of Christians in the United States, there were a number of Christians who still thought that smoking was okay in the sense that they didn't understand the science yet about um, how smoking kills you and that, you know, our body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. So there was a group of Christians, I was reading this story just the other day, group of Christians in Texas who were very conservative about a number of things. They felt that it was wrong for men and women to swim together, a number of other things, but they felt that it was right and okay for Christians to smoke cigarettes, okay? There was another group of Christians in California who believed that smoking was wrong because it harms the temple of the Holy Ghost, your body, but they believed that swimming together, men and women, not a big deal because they live right there on the ocean and that happens all the time out there, okay? And so what happened is a Christian from California, a Christian from Texas got together and as you could imagine, a little fight broke out, you know, over is it right or wrong for men and women to swim together? Is it right and wrong to smoke cigarettes? Okay, now those are two examples from just 50 years ago. Believe it or not, not that long ago, churches would sometimes split over issues like this. People would get in a fight about, you know, okay, the Bible says it's not right to be drunk with wine, but does that mean you can't drink any alcohol? And one group says, well, that means you can never have a drop of alcohol. The other group says, well, it doesn't say that. It just says be not drunk. And they form two different factions, two different groups, and they get in a fight, and eventually they say, well, fine, you know, 
your, your, you know, first covenant, whatever, we're going to go be second covenant, whatever, and start a new church, right? And this is sadly part of church history, that groups of Christians divide very often, and we're going to see in God's word today that when we divide like that, we actually are dividing the body of Christ. Now, there are in scripture essential issues that are what I would say black and white. In other words, they're undeniable, that Jesus Christ is God. There are moral norms in Scripture where God says, thou shalt not, this is the plan for marriage, this is the plan, okay? Those are all clear. We're not talking about disagreeing on those. We're talking about those controversial or political areas where you say, who am I going to vote for? Well, there's not a Bible verse that says, here's who to vote for. And so you might get one very sincere Christian who says, well, based on these scriptures and these principles, I'm going to vote for candidate Y. And other person says, well, based on these other scriptures and principles, I'm going to vote for candidate Z. And if we're not careful, we can be more like the world who doesn't follow Christ and get in a fight and divide over that than be what God has called us to be as the body of Christ, which is united even in our differences and we're going to see how we do that here in God's Word. Let me give you the big idea. You might want to write this down. Being united in Christ is more important than being right. Being united in Christ is more important than being right. And uh, to understand this, I want you to know this is not my opinion. This is the Word of God. So we're in Romans chapter 14. If you're not there yet, you can turn with me. And our scripture will be on the screen, but I'm going to sit down here today since I haven't had the time to prepare this like a normal message. I thought I'd kind of sit down and just kind of pretend we're in a giant home group together, okay? We're in like a giant small group, okay? And, and I want to say as we do this that um, I'm reading from my Life Application Study Bible. If you don't yet have one of these, we have these for sale in the lobby, and the reason I am encouraging you to get a life application study Bible if you don't have one is that in the back there's a topical index. So when you think, you know, what does the Word of God say about politics or about alcohol or about sexuality or about marriage or any other issue that comes up, you can look that up and then it will show you the scriptures that talk about that and you can turn to those scriptures and then underneath those scriptures are what's called commentary. And that is essentially like having a, a well-trained pastor with you who explains, here's what this means and how to apply it to your life. Now, there's a lot of different study Bibles out there, and many are good, but the reason I kind of endorse and recommend Life Application Study Bibles, it's one where I've read through the whole thing a few times, including all these little commentary notes, and uh, almost always the pastoral advice it's giving you is right on target and is better than I could give you. Uh, and so it's, it's a great way to become a self-feeder and teach yourself the Word of God. And it's a great way when you are gathered in a small group or in a home group and you think, oh boy, what does God's Word say about that? That one of you in the group can turn to the index, you can look up that topic and you can say, well, let's just read God's Word together. Because again, we are as followers of Christ bound to the word of God as the standard for what we do and believe. Uh, we love all people no matter what they believe. And as we're learning in God's word today, when we disagree with other Christians, we do that in a loving way that is humble and considerate. But this doesn't mean that we don't have any lines in the sand. The word of God is our standard for what we do and believe. So the goal is 
God, help me understand your word. And when your word doesn't say exactly how to handle a situation, right? The scripture doesn't talk about cigarettes. And so Christians had to wrestle through that. And some Christians probably still disagree on that, okay? Um, but every era of human history, of Christian history, there are going to be matters that come up in the culture and in the church where scripture doesn't say chapter and verse, thou shalt not smoke Marlboros or camels or whatever else, you know? There's going to be issues where we have to use the Spirit of God and use the principles of Scripture to come to the best conclusion that we can. And that's what we're talking about today. When you do that and another Christian does that and you come to differing conclusions, how do you handle that? So let me give you the context here on Romans chapter 14 before we start reading, okay? And actually, I better stand back up because I've got a little story here, right? I want to... I want you guys to imagine with me that you are wearing a toga and you are part of the church in Rome, okay? So at this point, the church is less than 100 years old. There are people in the Roman church who literally saw Jesus, but it's a very young church. And something that we sometimes forget is that in the New Testament, the early church was diverse in a way that the surrounding world was not. So Jews and Greeks didn't really talk with each other. It was an incredibly segregated world in the first century and has been throughout most of human history. So Jews and Greeks didn't talk. Men and women very often didn't talk. Women were not allowed an education in many circles. Um, of course, it was not a democracy, so nobody was voting. Very different world, very segregated world. Slavery was a global norm, and slavery was a norm in the Roman world. And so these Christians are this very small minority group but when they get together, they look unusual because they're this motley mix. In fact, there's a verse in Colossians that says, Here in the church, there is not Greek or Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, male or female, but Christ is all and in all. The church was uniquely diverse in its earliest expressions and should be because Revelation tells us that when Christ returns, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented in his kingdom but all this to say when you bring together different groups from different backgrounds you inevitably have different ways of looking at things which can lead to conflict so here's a conflict that happened in the roman church anybody know what a potluck is a potluck is where everybody brings their own food and it's like a big a big party i remember growing up the church my parents went to we would have potlucks and I remember as a kid, there was one person in our church who would always bring a KFC bucket of fried chicken. And as a kid, you know, it's like homemade stuff, homemade stuff, homemade stuff, KFC fried chicken, you know? I mean, you know, chemically engineered ingredients in there that make you addicted to it. So every time there was a church potluck, I would just eye that bucket of fried chicken. And every time I would get to it and I'd finally get up and I'd look down in, it would just be a little bit of breading left and grease. That was it. Every time I got there, all the fried chicken was taken. It was the worst. But anyhow, the church in Rome apparently had something like a potluck. And here's what happens, okay? You can kind of imagine this story in our modern day scenario of a church potluck. Everybody gets together. And uh, let's say there's a guy named Titus, and he's sitting next to this other guy, okay? And Titus is just, you know, eating away at his meat, and uh, the other guy's eating, and the guy says, hey, where'd you get this meat? And Titus is like, oh, I went to the market. It was on sale. And, and the, guy, the guy next to Titus spits the meat out of his mouth. He says, Titus, 
don't you know the meat that's on sale, that's meat that was offered to an idol? And Titus says, well, yeah, it's on sale. It's cheaper. Why wouldn't I get it? And the guy who spit the meat out of his mouth says, I used to worship that idol. That's a demonic ritual. That's a spiritual thing. I'm deeply offended. I can't eat this meat. It was offered to a pagan idol. And so Titus and this other guy have a disagreement. And Titus says, well, the meat's cheaper. The idol is just a bunch of wood and stone and metal. Who cares? And the other guy says, no, this is deeply spiritual for me. That meat offends me. And believe it or not, this breaks out into a little fight, food fight, at the potluck, okay? Food fight at the potluck, and people in the church start taking sides. People on Titus's side start saying, well, if you're really a mature Christian, you understand that the idol is just stone and metal, so it doesn't matter. And the people on the other side say, well, if you're really a mature Christian, you would understand that God says thou shalt not worship any other idols before me. And so by eating that, you're, you're committing idolatry. And as you can imagine... With Christians, it turns into a big fight. Such a big fight that Paul the Apostle, who's not even in Rome, hears about it from miles and miles away. And so when he writes this letter to the Romans, after he explains what we might call the plan of salvation or God's plan to forgive our sins and reunite us with him, after he gets through the real heavy theological stuff in this book of Romans, he's going to talk about this controversy about meat offered to idols. You guys understand? All right, so now let's read what Paul says here, starting in Romans 14. I'm going to do my best to just read through and not, not stop and do too much commentary, okay? Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man, or you could say person, one person's faith allows them to eat everything. But another person whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Why? Because they're afraid that any meat they touch might have been offered to an idol. The one who eats everything must not look down on the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does. For God has accepted that person. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I'm going to pause there for just a moment to say this. When it comes to issues like, who did you vote for? Where do you stand on this political issue? What shows will you watch on Netflix or not? Do you believe it's okay to drink alcohol? Here's the thing. It really doesn't matter your position, what other Christians think about you. It really doesn't matter. But if you look at verse 4, what does matter is that, have I done my best as a follower of Christ to say, God, I want to live out your way in my life. Because the verse says... Um, to his own master he stands or falls. In other words, I, I will give account to God for my position on this. And when I understand that, then I can, if, if people disagree with me, that's okay. I will give account to God, okay? But in the same way, when someone else does it differently than me, I don't have to judge them as a Christian and say, well, boy, they went to that place I would never go to because I know I'm not their master. As a follower of Christ, they're, they're following Christ and he's the one in charge of them. Let's look at verse 5. <clears throat> Here's another controversy that's going on in the church. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. This is talking about Sunday, the Lord's Day, or Saturday, which was Sabbath to the Jews. And some people out of the Jewish tradition 
had this idea of, boy, that day, that Sabbath day is sacred. Uh, in fact, it wasn't long ago, and probably if you go down in the Deep South, there's still some churches where on Sunday, you don't, you don't mow the lawn, you don't iron your clothes, you don't do any work on Sunday because that's the Lord's Day. And as, as early as the church in Rome, there were Christians who felt, hey, because it's the Lord's Day, treat it special. And there were other Christians who said, well, yeah, we worship on that day, but it's just a day of the week. And Paul says, you know, this is another controversy in the church, but he says in verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So you should know, you should know your position before God, but it might be different from someone else's. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats the meat, Titus at our potluck, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains, the guy next to Titus, well, he abstains to the Lord and also gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned alive so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. Listen to verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or your sister or why do you look down on your brother or your sister for we will all stand before God's judgment seat now this is one of those things if you got a, a study bible you, you could dig way into this idea of judgment seat I'll just give you a little summary here okay but the idea is this everyone after we leave this life will stand before God and give an account to God for their life on earth now if you haven't placed your faith in Christ um, God's standard of holiness is one that would bar you from getting into heaven or being in his presence. Why is that? Because God is perfectly pure. There's no corruption. There's no evil. There's no murder. There's no sin. And heaven, the kingdom of God, will be a place where there is no cancer, no death, no betrayal, no rape, no genocide. If God were to allow contamination, what he calls sin, into heaven... It would no longer be heaven it would start to look like the world we live in which was once perfect but has been contaminated and so god's plan for heaven and the kingdom of god is a place where there is no corruption and so god had a plan to deal with our sins our corruption and that's what christ did on the cross he paid the penalty for us so if you've placed your faith in christ in other words if you've had a moment in your life where you say god i know i've made mistakes jesus i believe you're god you died on the cross for me I accept your work on the cross. I need your forgiveness. Scripture says when you do that, you're washed. Your sins are washed away. And actually the very rightness or righteousness, the purity of Jesus gets applied to you. And you are now holy or pure in God's sight. Even if you still make mistakes, those have been paid for. Okay? So for everyone who's placed our faith in Christ, when we stand before God in judgment... The judgment is not going to be, do you get into heaven or not? That is decided on whether or not you've placed your faith in Christ. But even if you've placed your faith in Christ, God is going to kind of make an assessment of what did you do with what I gave you. Jesus once said, to whom much is given, much is required. Paul writes in the book of Corinthians about your salvation being like a foundation. If you think of a concrete slab foundation for a house... That is firm. You don't earn your salvation. It's a gift from Christ. You receive it. Now, what do you build on your foundation? Well, there's a passage in Corinthians that says some people build wood, hay, and stubble. In other words, they place their faith in Christ, but then they just live for themselves. And when they stand before God for their judgment, 
they will be saved, quote, as one passing through the fire. In other words, this fire of judgment will pass over their life, and they're a Christian, and everything they did burns up because it was all for just selfish and wrong motives. Now, the foundation stands. They still enter heaven, but they didn't have anything to show for their life. And then Paul says, um, but there are other Christians who on the foundation of salvation build gold, silver, and precious things that when the refining fire passes over, they, they stand. And just like real gold or silver, if you pass it through a fire, it doesn't burn up or disappear. It actually gets a little bit refined. So that, that's kind of an aside. I, I said I was going to try to not do this. But when you see judgment seat, that's what it means. So, and this is why we just, we read the Bible. This is why we do this in our small groups. Why we do this in our lives is you see a word like judgment seat, you need to know what does that mean for me? Do I know that I've placed my faith in Christ? And if as a follower of Christ, I have placed my faith in him, am I aware that I'm saved by grace, not by my works? I'm not gonna get into heaven by doing a bunch of good things. But if I've placed my faith in Christ, now am I strong? in my heart is my motive god i want to build gold and silver and precious things on that foundation okay i'm getting off track here so let's keep going what's the point the point is that who i vote for in the next election and who i vote for in the next presidential election and what i watch on netflix or not and what i drink or not and what i smoke or not really other people's opinions about it are not going to matter in eternity but if it's something god has an opinion about that does matter and Paul's kind of saying here, uh, get over your fear of people. You know, don't, don't think so much about people. I mean, love them, but don't fear them. Your respect should be directed toward God. It is written, verse 11, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account to God himself. That's a lot shorter than the way I put it. So, <laughs> so in light of all that, verse 13 let us stop passing judgment on one another. Again, the context here is within the church, and that is something, as we live in a culture where most our neighbors are not Christians, when we read scripture, we've always got to keep in mind, is this talking about Christians dealing with Christians or Christians dealing with non-Christians? Um, this is within the church, okay? It says, don't pass judgment on one another about these controversial, non-clear issues. Instead, Make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother or sister's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, Paul pretty much says, I'm convinced that no food is unclean in itself. So Titus is okay to eat the meat offered to the idol, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is. So Titus is okay to eat the meat offered to the idol. He's right, but the guy next to Titus who's offended, if he feels offended, then he shouldn't he shouldn't do it and they should both respect each other that's what paul's saying verse 15 if your brother or your sister is distressed because of what you eat then you're no longer acting in love do not by your eating destroy your brother or sister for whom christ died paul's kind of saying titus now that you know that this makes your your brother it's hard for him to see you eating that meat and you might you know maybe Maybe for you, there's some, there's some show that you can watch that, you know, the language or something else. It, it doesn't bother you. It's not a stumbling block for you. But you're at your home group or you're at a party and some other Christian says, oh, I, I could never watch that show. That, you know, that language or those kind of scenes or that violence that, you know. It, what Paul's saying is don't rub it in and be like, oh, are you kidding me? You know, but just like kind of quietly do as you're led quietly 
And if it's different than what another Christian does, don't, don't rub it in. So Paul's kind of saying, Titus, if you want to eat that meat, you know, you can get a smoker. You can make that eat meat offered to an idol at your house. No big deal. Have a few friends over who share your belief about it. No big deal. But if your friend comes over who that really, that really offends him, well, then just kind of put the smoker away and don't make a big deal out of it. Make sense? All right, so let's keep going here. Where are we? I think we're on verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, this is such a great verse, because you can take, the kingdom of God is not a matter of, and you could fill in the blank there. It's not a matter of Democrat or Republican. It's not a matter of various lifestyle issues. It's a matter of righteousness, of peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, if we have a mature Christian view, we realize this world and everything that's in it are passing away. There will be a day when there are no Democrats and Republicans. And God says, as a follower of Christ, you have a higher identity. Now, does that mean politics don't matter? Not at all. They do matter. And you should have an opinion, and it should be based on Scripture. And if you feel emotional and passionate about it, that's normal, okay? But there will be a day when Democrats and Republicans are no longer a thing. But Christ's kingdom will still be a thing. So don't divide Christ's kingdom in this life over something that's actually temporary. Make, is this making sense? Okay. All right. So, all food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Oh, look at verse 20. Look at the beginning there. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. I mean, that's it right there. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of, and fill in the blank. You know, and, and this is a passage to remember, like, next time you get around the Thanksgiving table, and you've got multiple generations, there's generational differences in how we view the world. You've got people who, you know, one's attending an elite university on the coast, and one's still living in the Midwest, and, you know, one's from a certain generation, one's from another generation, and all of a sudden these issues come up where there's disagreement. Well, if we're all followers of Christ, the goal is this. Is your position based on the Word of God? Are you trying to follow Christ? And if so, go for it. You know, you might do it differently than I would, but as long as you're basing your position on the Word of God, you're trying to follow Christ, I'm not going to pick a fight with you. And it's kind of like the conversation on the phone with my wife about the ultra, ultra perfume, okay? <laughs> as soon as I said, there hasn't been much drama in our life, and her response, I knew, oh, I, re I really, I messed up, you know? And you just got to have the humility to be like, I messed up. I put my foot in my mouth. I wasn't trying to be mean, but I was. And I'm, you know, I'm stupid at times. And I have the humility and the consideration to be like, I'm an idiot sometimes. And, and in the same way in our small groups and in our families and in the church, including our congregation as well as Christians we'll interact with from other congregations, we've got to have the humility to say, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm passionate about the way I apply God's word in this area, but God knows your heart, and I, I'm not here to pick a fight with you, okay? Let's get through our text here, okay? Uh, let us, therefore, verse, well, we, okay, let's go down, let's go down to verse 22, try to get, get through the chapter here before I talk all day, okay? So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Okay, so what's our big idea again? Very simply, being united in Christ is more important than being right. Being united in Christ is more important than being right. And that, that's pretty much what God brought us here to learn today. Is this helpful for anybody? 
Okay, I know there's a lot, there's a lot of crazy uh, divisive issues going on right now in the world at large and also in the church. And so um, anytime the world around us is changing or anytime we feel emotional, we're thinking, how do I respond to this or that? Our solution is always we go to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? So let me give you a little bit of extra context here. And I've summarized the context this way. The difference of our gifts, the diversity of our gifts, when unified under one head, and that is Christ, makes for a healthy body, okay? Now, here's why I say this, because Romans chapter 12, which, believe it or not, comes before Romans chapter 14. In Romans chapter 12, Paul likens Christians to a body. He makes this metaphor that we, as a church, we're like a physical body, and each of us are different body parts that serve different functions. So, you know, some of us are a hand, some of us are a kidney, some of us are a knee, some of us are an eye, some of us are an ear. And, and Paul, God, in his word, through Paul, makes this metaphor that just like a body, we all need each other. You know, your eyes need your hands, and your hands need your eyes, and your ears need your kidney, and they all need the lungs and the heart. And, and Paul kind of says, if you're not careful, you can start to fight against each other instead of working together. Sometimes I'll meet people who say, well, I don't have to go to a church because I am the church. And I say, well, you know, my, my, my pinky is my body. It's part of my body. But if you were to sever my pinky from my body and leave it on the sidewalk somewhere, it would not be in very good shape, would it? And my body would also be hurting and missing something important. And so it's true that you are the church, but you will be the most healthy version of the church when you're connected to a body. That's why we have a church family. And when you have a church family, you will inevitably have some body parts that you interact with that you think, man, they sure do that differently than I would. And this happens for a number of reasons. There's human reasons for it with our upbringings, but there's also spiritual reasons. For example, in Romans 12, when it describes us as the body, it describes these things called spiritual gifts, which you've got one as a follower of Christ. You might not even know it. You're walking around, you've got a spiritual gift buried inside you somewhere, okay? And for example, one gift is called mercy. And a mercy is a person who has compassion, and anyone who's hurting, a mercy's heart just bleeds. But there's another gift called prophecy, and people who have a prophetic gift, well, they see things as black and white, and so prophets and mercies, they have conflicts because here's what will happen is someone makes a mistake and the mercy is just, they're crying. I cannot believe what they're going through. And the prophet's like, well, of course they're going through that. You saw the choices they made, right? Now the body actually needs both of those together with humility to be a healthy church. But what often happens in church history is all the mercies will get together and they'll say, well, uh, you know, we're just going to start a church that's called, this is the church of we love all people no matter what and we don't believe anything. And all the prophets get together and they say, well, this is the church of we have the truth, we stand on the truth, and we don't care what anyone thinks about us, okay? And they form two different churches. And neither one of them is a healthy, balanced view of the body of Christ. That's what we mean here by, let, let's go back to that, uh, the differences of our gifts or the diversity of our gifts. That's what we mean by diversity is from Romans 12. We've got mercies, we've got prophets. We've got people with gifts of hospitality. We've got people with gifts of administration. We've got people with gifts of teaching. We've got people with gifts of exhortation. And I'm not teaching on gifts today, but the point is when a problem comes up or a situation, each of us through our different gifts and backgrounds and the way that God has wired us, 
we're going to see it slightly differently. And we need each other to stay healthy. What keeps us unified? Am I saying there's no boundaries, there's no objective truth? Not at all. The objective truth is the Word of God, and the boundaries are that we're under Christ's leadership. So what does God's Word say about it? What is Christ's heart about it? And I'm going to strive to be in unity with the other members of the body so that we're a healthy, functioning body. Is this making sense? All right. So, um, in Christ, we, though many, are one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Romans 12, verse 5. So, there is this diversity, or if that word uh, triggers you in some way, there are these differences of our gifts, okay? And they're meant, we're meant to see things differently as followers of Christ because we have different gifts. Um, sometimes we project our gift onto another, you know? If I'm an evangelist, I think everyone should be doing evangelism like I am, and everyone should be telling people about Jesus. But we, as you mature, you start to realize, I'm glad for the people who see things in the church a little differently than I do um, because they show me my blind spots, and together we can do more than we could ever do on our own. So unity is under Christ's work, and Christ's heart and Christ's word. So when we say unity in this church, in any biblical church, we're not just saying unity for the sake of, you know, let's all get in a circle and sing kumbaya and just pretend that there's no differences in the world. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about unity under Christ's leadership, just like the metaphor of the body. What is it that keeps all these different organs and all these different members of a body working together? Well, it's, it's ultimately your brain. It, 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 you know, if you didn't have the brain, all these different parts wouldn't be working together. And Christ in Scripture is referred to as the head of the church. So it's as each of us say, not my opinion, not my preference, but what does Christ want? He's the head of my life, of my family, of my church. What is his heart? And what does his word say? As we each strive toward that, that keeps us unified. And when, when one person says, well, I think his word means vote this way, and another one says, well, I think his word means vote this way, we can say, well, you know, as long as we're both really doing our best to be under Christ, let's acknowledge that we can disagree about that, but we agree about what actually matters, and that is who is king of kings and lord of lords, and what has he called us to do here on earth, and that's to go and make disciples. So let's, let's lock arms, and let's go make disciples together, rather than sitting around and fighting. Where scripture speaks, we speak. Where scripture is silent, we are silent. And again, my point in this message is not to identify all the areas where Scripture speaks. The best way to do that is to read it for yourself. If you want to know, you know, where does Connection Point draw the lines, you could look at our statement of faith, which is on our website, and it's very clear. You know, here are issues that are non-negotiable. You know, if you disagree about, you know, Jesus being God or the Bible being His Word, well, you know, we're still going to love you, but I'm probably not going to call you a, a Christian if you, don't if you disagree on certain things. There, there are these essentials. They're like the boundaries of the tent, if you will. And it's like, we agree on these boundaries because Scripture's just so overtly clear about those things. And within those, we know sometimes there's, there's disagreements about exactly how we live the Christian life or other things. So, all right. We expect, this is from Romans 14, we expect sincere Christians to have different callings, interpretations, and applications of God's word. Yeah, I'm not here saying that there's no objective truth, okay? There, there are a lot of things in scripture that are ultra clear. 
or UltaClear, okay? Um, but there, but there, are, there are things like, you know, like smoking. Before the science was out on it, a lot of Christians were fighting over that. I mean, cr Christians historically have gotten in fights over the silliest things um, because they just lose perspective of how temporary the issues of this world are and how eternal Christ's kingdom is. So, so we can expect, if we go into a home group, a small group, even a gathering like this, knowing, hey, I'm going to run across some other Christians who disagree with me about some stuff. When that happens, it doesn't mean they don't love Jesus. doesn't mean they don't take the Bible seriously. doesn't mean I'm better than them or that they're better than me. It, it just kind of is. And if I have that expectation, it doesn't tip me over when it happens. Observation. At all times in Christian history, there will be matters upon which sincere Christians disagree. And when that happens... Romans 14, that's the passage we read, Romans 14. Whenever this happens to me, you know, 15 years from now, it'll be some issue that we couldn't even imagine today. And 15 years ago, some of the issues are ones that we would laugh about today, you know, like people swimming together. Um, and, and, you know, there were churches, I kid you not, there were churches that would split over, should the length of a skirt be the bottom of the kneecap or the top? And, and I mean, we, we just have this propensity as humans to fight over silly stuff so um, we know that good christians will disagree always go back to romans 14 always go back to romans 14 because here's the very purest early church and they're having those same kind of squabbles and god gives us his timeless word about how to handle them so here's our principle on difficult controversial or political matters seek god's word to choose your position before the lord okay so i'm not saying be lazy in your thinking I'm not saying it doesn't matter what you believe about all this spectrum of issues in lifestyle and politics. It does matter what you believe. But choose what you believe by seeking God's word and choosing your position before the Lord, not before humans and what they think. Then, once you know your position before the Lord, well, be humbly respectful to other Christians who might take a different view. All right. I'm starting to, to beat a dead horse here, as they say. So I want to give you guys a picture, a video, uh, my favorite picture of unity. Because here's the thing. Scripture talks about this over and over. Jesus said in John 13, this is how all people will know you're my disciples, by your love one for another. See, unity is not just a thing. Christian unity under Christ is what makes us effective. Because we might forget we're in a spiritual battle. Uh, God describes Satan as a lion who is prowling about seeking whom he might destroy. And right now, Satan and demonic forces, they are killing and destroying in our culture, in our world, people who don't know Christ, and our kids, our grandkids, our spouses, each other. He wants to pick people off. If you've ever watched, you know, National Geographic uh, episodes about um, the, the, like, African savannah, where you've got the big open land and you've got the prey, like the little, um, what are they called, ibexes, or, you know, they're kind of like antelope and they run around, and you've got the predators, the lions. Which ones do the lions get? They always get the stragglers, the young ones, the ones who get out from the middle of the herd. And it's when the herd stays united that they're able to fight off predators. And I want to show you a picture of this, okay? And I'll kind of tell you the story, and then I'll try to narrate it, okay? This is, this is called the Battle at Kruger. This happened at a wildlife um, ref reservation in South Africa. And what happens is you're going to see some lions 
pick off a baby buffalo. These are water buffalo. And um, I, I won't spoil it, okay? Let's play it, and I'll narrate it as it goes, okay? All right, here come the water buffalo. They're pretty big. But lions can take on one water buffalo, no problem. All right, water buffalo's here. I think we're about to see the lions. Okay, here's the lions. They're crouching. This is exactly how Scripture describes Satan. He prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. You see two of them. I think there's going to be four of them total. And if you're bored, don't worry. There's about to be some action here. All right. <laughs> These lions, if it's a little grainy, they're going to get, okay, so the big one gets scared. The lions are going to get, see the baby running. Okay. All right. Lion tackles the calf into the water. We've got multiple lions now starting to try to eat this calf. They pulled out of the water. This version might have skipped it, but there's actually a moment where the crocodiles come out of the water, and it's a food fight temporarily. Okay, now these lions, I mean, it looks like it's game over for this little one. But notice, the water, the water buffalo who ran away, is he coming back by himself? He got the herd. Okay? So look at the power of unity here. Okay? Here comes the herd. And here's these water buffalo. Any one of these water buffalo could get torn apart by these lions. But what happens when they stand shoulder to shoulder you know when they stand shoulder to shoulder they have a power that they don't have on their own and shoulder to shoulder you see the strong males yeah they literally start taking their horns and throwing these lions up in the air there's still a couple lions involved but you're seeing when when these guys work together they can do what none of them could do on their own You know, I wonder, in, in your life, do you have a herd? Do you have a tribe? Do you have a group of people that you stand shoulder to shoulder with? And when the enemy comes at you, or when bankruptcy comes at you, or discouragement comes at you, when any problem comes at you, do you have a tribe? Do you have a herd? That's what we are as a church. And in a world that is so divided, if we're doing things under Christ's leadership, we will be a picture of unity that our kids can't find anywhere else. Um, but let's hold ourselves to that standard. Let's strive for that. Let's not be immature and fall into dividing. If we divide into ever smaller groups as Christians, then the enemy wins. And you might not have been able to see it in that grainy footage, but that little calf at the end stands up and gets back in the herd and survives. I mean, it seems unthinkable. They must have the thickest skin, those water buffalo. But after all that tugging on by those different lions, that calf survives. Why? Well, those bulls, those bulls stood shoulder to shoulder, and they did together what they never could have done on their own. So what have we learned today? Being united in Christ is more important than being right. Being united in Christ is more important than being right. Let me pray that for you, and we'll get you out of here today. Father, we thank you that in a world where there is an enemy of our souls, that you have given us eternal life, you've given us purpose, and you've given us the body of Christ to keep us whole and safe and healthy and strong. Lord, our desire as your followers is to live pleasing to you. 
And Lord, we want to be a body of Christ that is not sick or anemic or dividing or missing key parts. We want to be a body of Christ that is whole and is healthy and is strong and is functioning because God, you've placed us in this world not to merely survive, not to stake out a little American dream claim for just ourselves, but you have placed us in this world where men and women are dying, where they're going into an eternity apart from you. You've placed us here to reach the lost. And you've placed us here, Lord, to disciple and to grow the reach. And so, Lord, we just pray for our church. We pray for our little calves, all our boys and girls, all our teenagers, all this next generation. Lord, they're growing up in such a crazy world, such a divisive world a world that believes so many lies, a world that is just so, so impulsive and hateful. God, I pray that you will help us as a family to show them your way, which is so much better. Make us a people who are humble in our posture, who are respectful and considerate, that we would hold the deep truths of God with conviction, unapologetically, unswervingly committed to your truth, but Lord, gracious in our posture and gracious with each other when we come to different conclusions about what to do in this situation or that. So Lord, as we go out from here, fill us with your spirit and make us men and women who live out Romans 14, that the unity of your body would be more important than my opinions or my feelings. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.